You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So we're going to be going through again 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll do a little refresher and then we'll move right along uh, slowly. Let's open in prayer first. Father, in 1 Corinthians you mentioned through the Holy Spirit to Paul that such, you named, you had him name some, some lists of sins. And then you reminded the Corinthians that some of them were that. They were doing that. They were that. But that they were washed. They were sanctified. They were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so are we. And Lord, it is with, it is with awestruck, humble gratitude that we recognize that every day of our lives. That but for the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be lost. That He has done everything that is necessary to translate us into the kingdom of light. And so this morning as we read through the scriptures and we study them, and we hear from you. I pray that you would mold us even more and more each day into representatives of your son so that we might show the world that to follow the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a wondrous thing. And we'll ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you have ever been wrong? Everybody should raise their hand unless you're just being polite. Get your hand. We studied, we talked last week, and we're going to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 again, but we talked last week about taking each other, and the week prior to that, taking each other to law, and wronging and defrauding one another, and this was happening in the local church at Corinth, in likely, very likely, some of the, some of the defrauders were blood, were, were blood-bought believers. They were not following the Lord Jesus Christ. They were treating each other with despicable and horrifying disdain. They were suing one another. They were wronging one another. And they were doing this. the other things in these lists. Paul didn't put these lists in here because he just went, oh, I think we need a list, a grocery list. I'm going to put a grocery list in First Corinthians. He put these lists in here because <laughs> they pertained to what was happening in Corinth at the time. And again, I want to remind us, the more I study, and I, I, I did a lot of reading for this week's, um, this week's message, this week's lesson, and some of what I read, I just wish I could wash my mind out with soap. What was going on in first century Corinth, we, what hap- what's happening today is awful, but it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison. And this is what the first century church was in. And if for nothing, if for no other reason, this is just my surmising, to my way of thinking, God was showing the world throughout history, I can handle anything. The Holy Spirit can empower people by the Word of God to live godly lives no matter where they live, no matter what they live amongst, no matter who they live amongst. Because this was a defiled society. The first 
14 Roman emperors were bisexual. They were, and I, I read through some of the litany of what they did, and even the writers, the, 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 um, the heathen, the, the non-Christian writers of the day, they would say, these guys were sick. These were non-Christians, these were the writers of the day from Josephus on, talking about what was happening in the Roman Empire through the, as you read on through, through from Diocletian and, and on later on into the 6th century. It was disgusting. And they admitted that it was disgusting. But the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God can enable a Christian to live a life of godliness no matter where they are placed. And if nothing else, I, I have come away from chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians realizing that I got nothing to whine about. I got nothing to whine about. The Lord can handle anything that comes in to our lives. So, he says in, in, and we're gonna read through the whole, actually let's do that. Let's, let's get our context again. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll read through verse 11. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more matters of this life? If then you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges which are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between the brethren? But brother goes to law with brethren, that before unbelievers. Actually, then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that's your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And such were some of you. When we get to that verse, it's, it's just, it's just a, for me, it's a comfort. Because there's no one in here that wasn't some of this. To some varying degree. No one, there is none righteous. No, not one, says the Lord. But he can change even the most defiled. And so these Corinthians were struggling in the middle of a, of a debauched society. But they had the Holy Spirit. They had the teachings of the apostles. They had the scriptures. They could have, should have, and would have. I guess I said, should just say should have and could have. Chosen to be wronged and defrauded. They could have chosen not to take in their brothers and sisters to sort, to, to law. They could have chosen these other directions. And then in verse 9, we finished up, I believe that's where we finished last week. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Now remember, he just named one, two, First, he called. First, he said he uses the word unrighteous, which is a a general term of of an expression of wrongness, 
and we'll get there. A descriptive of one who is viol- who violates or has violated justice, violating what God says is just, divinely disapproved. It is divinely disapproved. So he calls them, he, he talks about the unrighteous, then he starts this list, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor homosexuals. And remember, verse 11 says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. Refer- referring to verse 9, referring back to this list. He puts in, he puts the sin of defrauding, of suing, of taking your brothers and sisters to court before the unrighteous in the company of these sins, fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminacy, and homosexuality. And so we talked about that. We talked about the fact that, that, uh, Paul is calling them to account for these things. Um, and, and I looked at the words individually. We looked at the words individually. Um, the last one we were on when we quit last week was the general term homosexual. The general term homosexual, arsenokoites. And we, we first mentioned that this word refers to homosexual behavior in general, but specifically to the dominant part. And the reason, again, the reason I'm, I'm kind of taking more time with this is because that seems to be where we're at today. This is that part of Greek history that we are repeating. Those who will not know and understand history are doomed to repeat it. But it's been my, my observation that, that those who are doomed to repeat history never repeat the good stuff. It seems wrong. Yes. Yes, that is exactly what he's saying. So, and, and we'll get to that. He stole my thunder, man. He is calling the Corinthians both to avoid the behavior and to judge the wrong behavior. Remember earlier on, he says, I've already judged this man. Put the unrighteous out of the church. Remember what he said there? Well, we've got a list of other things. Now, if, and, and that putting out will have different effects on different people, depending on where they are at in their spiritual life. If they're born again believers, it should shock them into waking up. If they're not, born again, it should make them aware of just what God thinks of the wickedness that is going on in society. So we'll get to that. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but thank you for reminding me. So the word refers to homosexuality in general. Now, again, as I was mentioning, I'm bringing this up because this seems to be where our society is in great part today. Is the sin of homosexuality worse than the sin of idolatry? No, it's not. Now, it's, there are things that people do, sinful things that people do that are more, that cause us to recoil more. Harming a child, for some reason, seems worse than harming an adult. Does it not? Why? Do you think the adult goes, well, I'm tough, that was easy. You know, ripped his arm off, but I'm an adult. If it was a child, it would be bad. Think about it. It's bad, period. To harm one another. It's bad, period. Now, I'm not going to try and, and reset our cultural clocks so that we stop thinking about harming children as worse. Stop thinking of it in these terms. But it's something to think about. Paul calls all of these sins against humanity. All of these wrongs. All of these evils. Whether it's, it's, uh, uh, violence. Let me get my list. Whether it's Fornication, idolatry, adultery, thievery, covetousness, drunkards, reviling, or swindling. So, as we talked about it last week, I mentioned that there are three arguments against, there are three 
common arguments today against pronouncing homosexuality as sin. Three of them. And we talked about the first one, which is the idea that it's that what Paul was talking about was general abuse. That he's not he's not denouncing homosexuality, but rather abusive homosexuality. And then the argument was made that there's no need to there would if that was true there would be no need to even mention it because the word fornication and adultery covers if homosexuality is a proper expression of human sexuality then fornication and adultery covers the sins that can be committed in a homosexual relationship just as in a heterosexual but he selected that word separately um, second not all the descriptions are of an excessive nature as one man correctly observed there's no such thing as responsible covetousness as opposed to abusive covetousness. Can you imagine someone who is a a good swindler as opposed to a bad swindler? And a, another fellow who's who's um he's a reviler. He likes to destroy people's reputations. But this guy does it in a nice way. He's not abusing the reviling. The argument doesn't work. Third, the assumption is that, that the argument was of general abuse is that the expressions of homosexuality exist that would be, would not, there are expressions that would not be harmful to one's neighbor. But is this appropriate? In Paul's vice list, are there expressions of immorality or greed or theft that would not harm your neighbor? Well, if you weren't stealing from him, I suppose. But what does the word neighbor mean? What did Jesus try to communicate to the society at large what the word neighbor means? It's everyone around us. As Roman ones, it's appropriate to place this word alongside these other absolute evils. As Roman ones describes homosexuality as an evil in itself, in, in other words, a perversion of nature. Therefore, the argument that Paul and his vice list was not addressing homosexuality in general, but abuses of it is, is a conclusion based on the illogical presupposition that all sexual relationships are equal before God. That Paul's descriptions are of excessive practices and that homosexuality itself is a biblical approved, a biblically approved expression of sexuality. You have to make those presuppositions in order to dismiss this, and even then it cannot be dismissed. Moving on, the second common argument is that this is referring only to pederasty. Numerous scholarly papers have shown that while it can refer to pederasty because Paul had in mind that, but because Paul had in mind Leviticus 18.22, and let's turn to that. Let's we don't do this often, but let's turn to Leviticus 18.22 and read that passage. And I'm going to um, show you something that I hadn't seen. I mean, I've studied Leviticus for 30 years, the Bible for that long, and, and including Leviticus, and I never really paid attention to this because I didn't read the Septuagint. Now, you all think, wow, he reads Greek? No. There's these little numbers up beside it, and you look up the number and it tells you what the word means. Strong's Concordance. Anyway, as I was reading Leviticus 18, so Leviticus 18, this is what Paul had in mind when he was coming up with this part of the list. 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is abomination. The word there, there's two words, arsena and coites. They're two separate words. To bed a male. Arsena is the male. Coites is to bed or to lie with. Those are two words in the original language in, in, Levitic, in Leviticus 18. That's the words that the Septuagint scholars used to translate the Hebrew. What Paul did is he combined those two words. 
He coined a word. This happens all the time. People coin words all the time. I was going to look up a bunch of coined words and I forgot. <laughs> I'd like to have a real scholarly and, and wonderful reason why it didn't happen, but I just forgot. But people coin words all the time. They'll often take two words, put them together. Do not. Don't. Not a real good example, but you get the, you get the idea. So these are two words that are in the passage in, in Leviticus chapter 18. Arsenal, arsene, and coites. A man better is what it's calling. Do not do that, he says in Leviticus 18. If you do that in Leviticus 18, uh, it's a, it's a sin worthy of death. And then in the second place is in, uh, Leviticus 20, 13. So let's look at those. I want us to have that as our background directly from scripture. Leviticus 20, 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with the women, a woman, though both of them have committed a detestable act, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Two same two words. If there is a man, arsena, who lies with a man, beds a man, coites. Those two words are there. They're separate words. Paul combines them. He calls it, he calls this an arsena coites, a man better, a homosexual. He had in mind Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. And because he is likely the one who coined this phrase or this word, this, this term, Scholars in the languages in nearly everything I studied uniformly specify that this was referring to a man-on-man relationship as well as, as well as to the practice of older men having what were known then as call boys. And, um, let me get to this section here where I'm a bit behind. So these are the terms that Paul used in this verse. Effeminate malakos, this would have been the um, the softer per, uh, uh, practitioner of homosexuality. And then this is the general term. And you can see the two terms, arsenokoites, come from the, the words arsen, a male, and koite, a mat or a bed. So, moving right along. Lots and lots of pressing here. So if as seems likely... And I'll get to that as, uh, well, actually, we're at that. If, as seems likely, the arsenicoite group of words is a coinage of Hellenistic Judaism or Hellenistic Judas, Jewish Christianity, the probability that the Septuagint provides the key to their meaning is strengthened. Not only this, but if Paul is the first in extant literature to use this compound term, and as far as everything I read indicates, he is the first to use it, then it is also probable that he, as a Jew, is reflecting the sense of Leviticus 18.22 and 2013 rather than later affirmations denoting pederasty or concerning pederasty. In numerous diachronic studies, and diachronic means across time, the, his, the, the evolution, if you will, of a word over time. Um, the two words in question here, of the two words in question here, the two other words, malakos and arsenicoides, have been demonstrated to refer not only to pederasty, but to male-on-male practices. Suffice it to say that the words refer to the two participants in the act, and Paul is coining a word that although it did not exist in the Septuagint, is simply a compound of two words that are both in both Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. The application to pederasty actually occurs somewhat subsequent to Paul's time by Hellenistic Jews who were describing the practices that occurred in their day. Thus, Philo, relating this passage to the practices of his day, But it is important to remember that other writers, such as Josephus and others, interpreting this passage in the light of the Levitical passage, came to the same conclusions that Paul came to. 
This passage and the one in 1 Timothy, as well as the one in Romans chapter 1, taken together and viewed properly as expressions of Paul's disgust with and correspondent judgment of this type of behavior, clearly show that these were two vices that he condemned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I went through an 11-page diachronic study of the two words in question here. It's abundantly evident, and, and this is part of where I, as I read through it and the, the footnotes and went to the footnotes and studied it all out, it's just not family-friendly. So I'm going to give you a summation of it, if, if you don't mind. If someone would like to read it, I'd be glad to, to send it to you. Um, I will do the best I can to give you a clear, concise, accurate summation. Within the church at Corinth, there were unrighteous people. There were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, and homosexuals. Paul was condemning these unrighteous behaviors and calling the Corinthian church away from them and to judge them, as Ron pointed out. I have already judged this situation, he said earlier on in chapter 5. Today, there is an undue emphasis on changing the nature of sin so that it can be accommodated into the church as an appropriate lifestyle. I'm reasonably certain that we would not seek ways to accommodate extortion, slander, drunkenness, and swindling as acceptable Christian practices. Well, he's a born-again swindler. He only swindles believers. And only the rich ones. Because they have the money to part with. He's such a nice guy. Pat. <laughs> okay, I'm moving right along there. <laughs> Are you just deliberately trying to get me in trouble? Okay, I got it. Nor would we attempt to accept idolatry, thievery, greed, and cheating as demonstrations of spirit-filled living. Well, he's the most wonderful cheater I've ever met. What a guy. Nor would we do that. Rather, we would, with Paul, rightly judge those behaviors as unacceptable. And we would counsel those practicing them to return, to repent. And to return to Christ or to turn to Christ. In the same way, we should do the very same thing with those who practice any form of homosexuality, idolatry, stealing, greed, slander, and all the other vices that Paul lists here, which damage the doer as well as the victims. All sin damages. It's a ripple effect. It's a pebble in the pond ripple effect. It damages the doer at the beginning, and then it damages an increasing circle of people outward, depending on the severity of the sin. All of them. And so to label one of them as worse than another is a mistake. Now, there are some that have what seem to be more heinous effects on humans, humans, but nevertheless, any one of them denies us entrance into the kingdom of God if we're not a believer. And any one of them, if we are a believer, calls the other believers around us to call us to repentance, to judge us, to judge us. Jesus said, judge with righteous judgment. This is what and what Ron was talking about. He's calling them back both to the, the earlier idea that later on in verse 11, that some of them were these things. He's also calling them back to denounce these things, deal with them. So concerning the two words we are dealing with now, the summary of that 11-page paper covers it quite well. Second section there. While Paul's choice of words, arsenokoitis and malakos, allows for an application 
to the abuse of pederasty in his day. The words actually denote a broader field of reference, including all men who have sexual relations with men. And I, it goes without saying it's women, as, uh, women with women as well. That talk, Paul talks about it in Romans 1. Um, the illogical presupposition is that A, all sexual relationships are equal before God, and B, Paul's descriptions are of excessive practices, and C, homosexuality is a biblical, biblically approved expression of sexuality are necessary prerequisites to the popular conclusion that Paul was discussing only abuses in homosexual behavior. The Apostle Paul condemned all of these relationships, all homosexual relationships in his vice list in 1 Corinthians 6-9 as he addressed the need for the Corinthians to judge those within their midst. To judge those. This is a right kind of judgment. But judgment has to be done in love, in care, in concern, in recognition that but for the Lord Jesus Christ, there walk I. Really, in the light of those things. Because, as he's going to say in verse 11, it's, and it's like, it's like he said, but such were you, but you were washed. I'm, I'm stealing the thunder of verse 11. Let's move right along here. So verse, the, the third argument is actually a compound. Remember I said there were three arguments. The first was abuse. The second was pederasty. The third is a compound argument of cult prostitution and male bisexual prostitution. Both of these are covered in the foregoing ex- explanations. The simple fact is the world which Paul lived in was riddled with sexual deviancy. Living the life of a Christian in such a climate was difficult, but in no way, in no way impossible with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And for me, that's, that's an exciting, exciting concept that the, basically the Holy Spirit is saying nothing is too powerful for me to handle in your life. And so we have verses like we will never be exposed to more than we can handle. And, and God will always provide a way. And, and those are cliches and, and, uh, everything works to, to the good of those who are the called in, in Christ. And, and those are Christian cliches, but they're not. Because in the light of this, in the light of this, people who are living in the worst, what at the time seems to be possibly the most deviant civilization around, they could live sterling, glorious Christian lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. So can we. Any comments about verse 9? Okay. Now I can go home and wash my mind out with soap and we'll move on. Number 10, verse 10. Nor thieves. He's not done. Some of you were thieves, he said. Nor the covetous. Some of you are covetous. Nor drunkards. Some of you are drunkards. And the more I read about that, it was pretty hard to get drunk in those days. Um, The wine, but you could do it. If you were serious about it, you could do it. High school, high school seniors, they can do that. Nor revilers, that's a, that's a bad word, that's a nasty word. Nor swindlers, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we all know that once turned to Christ, once a person trusts Christ, that is an eternal turning. But Paul doesn't know who those are. He doesn't know their hearts. So he continues his list of vices here. The emphasis, of course, is for the Corinthians to examine themselves because if they were living lifestyles represented by these words in this list, they must necessarily question their salvation if you're living that way. I'm not talking about an accidental deviation into something and then a repentance and a turning from it. 
This is a, a lifestyle. So the words he uses here now, kleptos, thieves, kleptos. What word comes to mind? Kleptomaniac. I gotta have that. I actually, we had when I was growing up, my mother ran kind of like a daycare, and at any given time we'd have thirty or forty kids, and there were there was one young fellow there. He was a kleptomaniac. I didn't know what the word meant when I was ten and eleven. I just knew that you didn't leave anything out. Because if you left it out, it was going to be in his bedroom. He was a kleptomaniac. This is a person that, who, um, he's, he's a, an embezzler, a pilfer. He's got to have it. He's got to have, it's yours. He steals by stealth rather than in the open with violence. It's a different kind of thief. Different kinds of thievery. And interestingly enough, and we'll get to this, there were different kinds of thieves in the ancient world and it was prosecuted different. Did you know that in first century Greece, you could be put to death for thievery? Put to death for thievery in Greece. Um, so this is a thief. Ancient Greece was suffused with thievery. It, be, it, it had become so destructive that there were three kinds of thieveries that thieves that were actually punished by death. Barclay outlines it in his study. There were thieves and robbers. There were thieves and robbers. The ancient world was cursed with them. Houses were easy to break into. The robbers particularly haunted two places, the public baths and the public gymnasia, where they stole the clothes of those who were washing or exercising themselves. It was common also to kidnap slaves who had special gifts. The state of the law shows how serious this problem was. There were three kinds of theft punishable by death. Number one, theft to the value of more than 50 drachmae. That's at the time when Barclay wrote this, about two British pounds. Five bucks, six bucks. Theft from the baths, although five dollars in the 1800s was a lot of money. An awful lot of money. You could, you could go weeks. In the, on the groceries that would purchase. My grandmother told me when prior to World War One or just after World War One, they could exist for twenty dollars on two, for two weeks for groceries, because twenty dollars wasn't just well, hadn't been destroyed by um, fiat money back then. Okay, I'm getting way off into the weeds here. So, the state of the law shows how serious three kinds of theft punishable to death: theft to the value of more than fifty drachmae, that's about two British pounds; theft from the baths the gymnasia, and the ports and the harbors to the value of 10 drachmae. I don't know why it would be more, but maybe the people in the harbors and ports were richer. Who knows? That is about 40 pence. Theft of anything by night. So if you stole something from more than that was worth more than two British pounds or from the baths, the gymnasiums, and the ports and harbors that was more than 10 drachmae, or I guess that would be, um, oh, that's less. Yeah, got to get my math right. One-fifth of that. Theft of anything by night, you could be put to death in ancient Greece. Barclay said the Christians lived in the middle of a pilfering population. This is a guy, this kind of thief, he's eager to have what belongs to you. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that, now I can take it. That's the, it's, he's delighted to take it from you. Well, I'll just leave that alone. The original word comes from that concept. An avaricious person. One who is, it's like the richest, the second richest man in the world. And I'm not calling him an avaricious person, but this is the idea. He was asked how much money was enough. This guy was worth, at the time, I think $20 billion. He was asked how much money was enough. He said, just a little bit more. Twenty billion, you know how much $20 billion is? It's like 10 times the, 8 times the budget of the state of Idaho. This word describes a person who always wants to get more so they can spend it on themselves. This is not a miser. 
Not someone who hoards and, and takes and keeps it. It's a taker. It's someone who takes what belongs to others. And in some ways, that is their lifestyle rather than actually working. This is what they do. Their, their initials are TSA. They take stuff away. Oops. Are any of you fly in here? Okay. I know this is being recorded. They know where I live. It's a defrauder. He tramples on the rights of others. He doesn't care whether you need it or not. He takes it from you. This is, this is what Paul was talking about Corinthian possibly believers doing. Next would be swindlers. And did I get out of order here? Yeah. Harpax. Rapacious, ravenous, an extortioner, a robber. Um, this word is a word that connotes violent robbery. Not someone who does it by night. This is a guy who confronts you. He steals. He doesn't burgle. He robs. And, and they actually, in some cases, I guess, like it. They like the thrill it comes, that comes with it. Um, they, they, um, it was used, the word was also used for a certain type of wolf. And it was used for the grappling irons on ships that they would lay across to another ship to board it and take what was on that ship. And this is written in invisible ink. Swindlers. Paul is prodding the Corinthians. He's poking them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Think, are you one of these? You must question yourself if you are one of these. I cannot know your heart, but you do, and the Holy Spirit does. People who practice the things in this list are not righteous. Who practice the things in this list are not righteous and will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just because you're in the church here in Corinth doesn't make you a child of God. Your lifestyle can tell us who and what you are. We need to remember that. Um, for ourselves, we, we, we haven't the responsibility to find this out in other people's lives. But once it's known, once it's known, we are to call them to account. And I want to finish with verse 11. And this, this is like a cry of triumph. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In many of his epistles, Paul writes in a manner that evinces the idea of someone crying out. In Romans 7.24, he says, just prior to the declaration of who will save him, he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of the body of this death? And I can imagine him just crying out, wretched man that I am. And here he does just that as well. It's it, in an excited but qualified exclamation. He declares that some of the Corinthians were those things. And he's so he's talking about the practicing believers in, in Corinth. That is, they practiced those behaviors he just listed. Whatever was in that list prior. But some of them have been washed. They have been sanctified. They have been justified. To be washed is to be regenerated. To be changed. To be made new. They were saved not on the basis of their works, but rather according to the mercy of God. To be sanctified is to be set aside for new works created for them before the foundation of the earth. To the Corinthians... And by extension, us, we, we have been the, we have been given the ability to behave differently. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. And they weren't either. To be justified 
is to be given a new standing. A new standing before God solely on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. At salvation, the Corinthians and we were changed from darkness to light. We were rescued from eternal damnation. We were given the robes of righteousness of the Son of God. All of this was done by, through, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven by which men are called to be saved but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This declaration by Paul also seems to be an unconscious Trinitarian declaration of the reality of the change that occurs when God sets his heart on someone, and I'm speaking anthropomorphically, when God sets his heart on someone to be a part of the bride of Christ, even that, I said, was anthropomorphic. For God in eternity past has determined who would be the bride of his son. And so we have, I don't have it up there. Let's look at that verse again. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He, he claims the salvation and the, the new life for the Corinthians who were, some of them, living in the wrong way. He claims it for them in the name of the Trinitarian, in, in the name of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You have been changed. You have been washed. You have been regenerated. You have been sanctified. You have been set aside. And you have been justified. Your standing before God as a sinner was changed in the blink of an eye to one who is one of his children. Act like it. Call the ones out who aren't acting like it. Be to the world an example of the Father. Do it in love. Do it in care. Don't do it in vindictiveness. Don't do it, I gotcha. Don't do, because all of us were called away from that lifestyle, were we not? Every one of us. Maybe, maybe we weren't liars or swindlers or homosexuals or, well, I don't, I think all of us were probably liars. Is that too strong a statement? You can't shake your head, can you? <laughs> when are you going to stop beating your wife, Pat? You know, it's one of those questions. All of us have been called away. The Corinthians were called away. And then he says, he says, and this is the live like it verse. Such were some of you, but you're not anymore. Because why? Because you were washed. Because you were sanctified. Because you were justified in the Trinity. The all-powerful king of the universe has made you different. And you can be different. And and these Corinthians, some of them had to be sitting there as this was being read to them, just stunned by being, because he named my sin. He named my sin. I don't do any of those others. I just do this one. Yeah, right. He knows. Yes, he knows. Have any of you ever sat in a church service where you thought the pastor had been following you? The Holy Spirit had. And the Holy Spirit loved you. And that morning, and this day, Paul is calling these people back to the Lord. He's calling them back to being washed, sanctified, regenerated believers and acting like it. Let's pray. Father, none of us are immune to the wiles of sin. But you are. Your Holy Spirit can, can empower us and your word can direct us. Your son has freed us. And it's true. It's absolutely true. It's as true as the fact that the sun rose this morning. And so we thank you for that. And we stand in, in delighted awe of that. Help us to be those today who act like washed, sanctified, justified believers in the Lord Jesus Christ.
because we love him. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.